and welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted, your Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast with a plan, a smart plan, <laughs> a carefully laid out plan, but then we got bored. And if you were predicting that Lonnie would use a spike quote for the intro to this week's show, you win. <laughs> you don't win much because the odds were always very good that that was going to happen, but you win nonetheless. Yeah. This week on the show, In the Dark, the third episode of the first season of Angel, written by Doug Petrie, directed by Bruce Seth Green. Yes. Two Buffy alums mm-hmm. trying their hand at Angel, both, I think, fairly successfully. Uh, yeah, I think it was real good. I liked this episode. Petrie has so far written three Buffy's revelations, the one with Gwendolyn Post, Bad Girls, and Enemies. This is the first of only two Angel scripts that he writes throughout the entire run of Angel. <laughs> Bruce Seth Green already finished his time on Buffy, already did all eight of the episodes that he was ever going to direct, and this is his first of only three Angels, so we're not going to get a lot from these guys yeah. in the Angel mm-hmm. side of the Buffyverse. Yeah. I thought this was a really strong episode. I liked it quite a bit. It surprised yeah. me mm-hmm. how confident it felt. Yeah, this is where, this is one of the episodes where Angel becomes the thing that I like about Angel, mm-hmm. <laughs> like where this show sort of starts to get its footing. Um, and uh, and I liked it quite a bit. It's surprising that they managed to pick up from the harsh light of day. This is the second half of this crossover yeah. event. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Three episodes into Angel seems like a good time to have a major crossover oh, well, event sure. with the parent show. Yeah. But it feels so Angel. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like the, you know, poor cousin to the Buffy episode. It feels very purposeful and very different to the harsh Mm -hmm. light of day. Mm -hmm. Thoroughly enjoyed it. We'll get into our beat by beat. The beat by beat is going to be a little quick. The plot is not perhaps the most complex that we've ever seen Mm -hmm. in Buffy, but we're going to at least have some very interesting things to discuss at the end of this week's episode. Let's get right to it. A girl runs through one of LA's many scenic dark alleys. This is Rachel, and the guy who suddenly grabs her and throws her against the dumpster is Lenny. She's desperate, he's furious, and he has a gun, which Angel, appearing from nowhere, effortlessly takes from him. Leaving Lenny unconscious, Angel makes sure Rachel is okay, as far above them, Spike offers an improvised narration to the events below. (laughs) On a scale of 1 to 10 spikes, yes. how many spikes do you love this scene? Uh, eight spikes. Only eight? I'm surprised it's that low. No, no, no. I'm, because th- Spike doing this thing... Okay, it's one of my favorite things favorite. that Spike does. It's one of my favorite things that Spike does. But I, uh, the only thing I like more um, of Spike than this is Spike when he's in real emotional turmoil. That's when I absolutely oh, okay. love... Okay. That's my favorite, favorite <laughs> Spike. But funny, snarky, uh, monologuing Spike is also one of my favorites. It's so, a really yeah. solid scene. Though Spike, honestly, is in no position to make fun of any anyone's hair product <laughs> i love it exactly for that I vampires in glass houses shameless no he's completely <laughs> shameless about it i love it it's one of my favorite things it's it's great in its execution but what yeah. i love more than that is the concept yeah just the idea of pulling us out from our <laughs> usual perspective yeah. into spike's perspective up on the rooftop i mean we can mm-hmm. ask some awkward questions about really angel wouldn't sense that he was being watched by another <laughs> vampire really you know we have a certain sliding sure. scale of, yes. of awareness of one's environment Mm -hmm. in this episode but i love the switch in perspective i love the kind of meta commentary that it gives us on angel as a show it's Mm -hmm. acknowledging its noirish superhero and look not for nothing i'd forgotten this Mm -hmm. intro and i'd certainly forgotten the specifics of this intro (laughs) i would have been a little lighter on the batman stuff in the last few episodes Uh, if i had remembered that spike hits the batman stuff so hard in this cold open (laughs) To the Angel Mobile away. <laughs> that is explicit. 
<laughs> oh yeah no absolutely i don't think there's any chance that these people were not deliberately going for the whole <laughs> batman visual um but it's so it's just so funny the way they say no more evil's still afoot and i'm almost out of that nancy boy hair gel i like so much yeah it's it's really really fun it is yeah and just letting james masters do his thing yeah. as we said on monday's show about the harsh light of day when you just let him do his thing it's always entertaining yeah he's he's, he's fantastic just great in the role. yeah we come through the credits to see oz arriving in la or should i say oz's van arriving <laughs> in la along with its sidekick oz well really where does oz end and the van begin it's kind of one entity at this uh, point i'm going and... to argue uh functional purpose within this plot <laughs> is what separates the van from Oz. Oz is a ring delivery system. Yes. The van is a vital part of the plot <laughs> exactly. of this week's episode of Angel. So it's yeah. the van mm-hmm. with his sidekick. As much Oz. as we love Oz. And I, I, mean, I do. Oz. I love I Oz. Oz. But the van is always kind of like his most distinguishing characteristic. Inside Angel's office, Cordelia has learned to type. Yes. Apparently fairly proficiently since a yes. couple of weeks ago and is thrilled to prepare Angel Investigation's very first invoice. Doyle isn't sanguine about their chances of actually turning the invoice into money, which I rather like. Oz breezes in and Cordelia welcomes him effusively. He is, after all, the total embodiment of all things Sunnydale. Mm -hmm. And that forces me to ask you, in what way is Oz, the laconic werewolf boy, the embodiment of all things Sunnydale? Or did I just answer my own question? Well, I think, yes, you've answered it a little bit, but also that for Cordelia, anybody from Sunnydale who shows up in Los Angeles for her is all things Sunnydale. Yeah. I love that Cordelia is still connected to yeah. Sunnydale, still mm-hmm. connected to that side of the Buffyverse, but also clearly isn't missing it. Right. <laughs> she's very happy to but be in LA. But she's very happy to see Oz. I like that. I like that she's like, hey, how are you? Instead of, you know, bitter toward the whole experience sure. of being being a Scooby and then not a Scooby and then sort of a Scooby, you know. She's all grown up. Yeah, it's striking again. Yeah, just thinking that Cordelia has been gone from Sunnydale High for three months, and here she is, clearly twenty-five years old. She's supposed to be eighteen, exactly. I mean, this is the thing. She is. She's definitely in her mid twenties, at the very least. Oz back in Sunnydale had somehow heard the rumors of the investigators, which makes me wonder about their, I don't know, presence in Uh the lives of the Scoobies. We don't mention them much, but I wonder if there is a flow of information back and forth between the two. What is the source of the flow of information? because Cordelia's best friend from high school was Harmony. Well, and as <laughs> much as Cordelia dead. had a best friend from sure, high school. Sure, yes. sure. No, there's no direct flow of, of communication that I could figure out. Right. I don't think that Cordelia would be in touch with any of the other Scoobies. But, I mean, Angel's been in touch with Buffy? But only peripherally. Yeah. And I don't believe for a moment that, that he would have been in touch with Buffy in a way that we hadn't seen on screen, because apparently we're going to treat that fairly significantly. Well, when he calls her and hangs up without saying a sure. word, we saw that. Yeah. Oh, and we get the, the slightly misleading nod toward that in this episode yeah. when mm-hmm. Rachel calls in just a few minutes. We'll get to that in the basement. Oz delivers into Angel's care the gem of Amara, which somehow Doyle recognizes immediately. Sure. Even though Spike who had researched the gem sufficiently to, you know, find it. <laughs> thought it was a necklace. It. Right. Now, on the one hand, and Spike Giles thought it was not a, the most yeah. studious researcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, hand, fair enough. Fair enough. Doyle seems to have a particular insight into this. And I guess mm-hmm. we can raise the question what Doyle's connection to this gem or to gems of all sorts perhaps are. 
Maybe because we also see him he has a pop out his demon, demon face sense. And yeah, sniff it out. That's yeah. It. yeah he know. clearly has some kind of connection to it, but I don't entirely understand how mm-hmm. it works. Mostly it works because, you know, he's the exposition demon. Credit for exposition demon to the wonderful Bonnie on Twitter yes. who came up with that term a couple of weeks ago. That's very useful. We're gonna Yeah, we're gonna hold on to that. that into the rotation, <laughs> yes. Angel is haunted by memories of Buffy and Oz chooses to skip over some of her recent romantic misadventures. Doyle, though, is excited about the ring, as well as learning to type. Cordelia has also apparently learned a little tact. (laughs) They leave, and Angel is left brooding. He takes the ring into the sewers beneath the building and hides it behind a loose brick in the wall. Safe for now. Mm -hmm. Exposition aside, Mm -hmm. I think that this sequence works really very well. We get the nice interaction between Oz and Angel. Mm -hmm. I could live without them lampshading the laconic sure. nature of the interaction <laughs> but it works well enough a little a little too much self-awareness i think uh, yeah maybe, a little too much a meta commentary yeah. there yes we've already had spike in the cold open i'm not sure that we need that again now but sure. it, it, it's fine it's mm-hmm. fine then we have angels of course just great central performance david boreanaz's great central performance mm-hmm. anchoring the what is going to be the whole kind of angel experience in this yeah. episode that mm-hmm. he is still haunted, still suffers guilt, still feels the weight of all that he has done, both good and bad, and this pain that he can't ever entirely compensate Mm -hmm. for. It's really great. It's it's a really solid performance, great scene, and then hiding the ring in the sewer Mm -hmm. is also a nice touch, on the one hand. It is really fun. And a great set. Yeah, no, it was beautiful. Really lovely lighting, everything in that I really, really liked. Um, I like the visual of it. I love the visual of those old brick, you know, Mm -hmm. circular tunnels and everything, but at the same time, I'm thinking, well, perhaps if you had a more modern safe, it might be. (laughs) No, because you would look in the modern safe. I like the practicality. The practicality of it, it yes. Yes, I suppose. It's just seems like you know people always find things that are hidden behind uh, nothing you know, stays hidden nothing for long. stays hidden for long very true <laughs> the next morning doyle is hung over and struggling with the childproof bottle of painkillers which i think tells you everything you need to know about doyle Pretty angel much. meanwhile is practicing his tai chi when the phone rings this is the just just half step toward yeah. deception there mm-hmm. when there's no voice on the phone for that first second yep you can't help but think oh my god it's Buffy I know we're just gonna hear her voice and she's gonna I don't know vouch for Oz or give us some <laughs> hint about the ring the whole thing is just right. going to tighten up nicely but it's not it's Rachel telling Angel that Lenny has been released from prison in the garage on his way to help her Angel is blindsided by a spike attack <laughs> you can take the boy out of Sunnydale but you can't give him a full range of vision <laughs> They fight because Spike was never one to wait for his plans to come to fruition. Cordelia and Doyle burst in. Spike compliments Cordelia, which is a nice moment, then runs off into the night. Cordelia is going to need to take refuge at Doyle's apartment because Spike knows her. Let's not anybody talk about Oz. Oh, sure. And how Spike also presumably is aware of him. <laughs> sure. And the fact he's in LA, let's not mention him again until yes. the climax. Oz has a van. Spike Let's, can't get in the van without true. being invited in, so it's fine. That, I choose to believe that the van will yes. proactively choose to protect Oz. I think if Oz has ever slept in the van, and let's face it, he's a teenage boy. I'm not sure that he's ever in slept in the van. In his early 30s. Else. So he's, yes, absolutely slept in the van. The symbiotic relationship. <laughs> the van is basically Oz's Iron Man armor. Exactly. It's his Jarvis. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We should probably address the little textual inconsistency here. We have here a Wrath of Khan situation. Oh, sure. In Star Trek Mm -hmm. II, The Wrath of Khan, Khan, played by Ricardo Montalban, recognizes Chekhov, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that Chekhov was not in Star Trek. He was not yet a character. (laughs) 
In Spacey, the episode in which Khan first appeared, uh-huh. this is kind of the same situation because, to the best of my knowledge, Spike never met Cordelia. Spike has never been introduced to Cordelia. Spike, I think, would not be concerned about Cordelia. Uh, would not. I. I, I don't. She's just see a him, happy meal on wax. Yeah, I don't see him studying up on Hall, who all the Scoobies are. Like, I mean, I think he knows. He knows Willow because Willow has power. He knows Buffy because Buffy can kill him, and the rest of them, I think, are just possible snacks. Yeah, your B tier Scoobies. I don't exactly. think he's going to be. That interested. <laughs> to the best of my recollection, uh, they came closest to meeting mm-hmm. in Schoolhard, uh, Spike's first appearance. Mm-hmm. When the attack on the school takes place, Cordelia is there, so presumably that could right. have happened. The most interesting intersection between Spike's influence and Cordelia, though, I think comes in Lover's Walk. Sure. Right at the end sure. of Lover's Walk, when right. Cordelia and Oz find Willow and Xander mid-kiss in Spike's secret lair. Yes. That's probably the the closest intersection. And of them she would them, be but. aware of him. Oh, sure, she would but know him. I don't him. think they would have ever been formally introduced. Right. You know, no matter how big a fan a I am, Sunnydale societal Chase, function. Yes, <laughs> I'm not sure that she's immediately distinctive, particularly when you're in L.A. Yeah, well, particularly when you're Spike. You sure. know, Spike. She would absolutely know who Spike is, but Spike knowing who she is, I think, would be. I he might. Know, he might can... recognize her, but I don't think he would know her name and say, "Oh, hello, Cordelia." Yeah. I it's, think it's it can backfill a certain, you know, but, peripheral fascination. Yeah, I think I like Spikes it. maybe had a thing for Cordelia she's, for she's quite some time. very pretty. I don't blame him. <laughs> in Doyle's apartment, he is calling around to get some information on Spike. Doyle's apartment is a pit. Sure. I like the exchange between him and Cordelia. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> his apartment was much better until he saw her place exactly. the week before. <laughs> Establishing nicely, too, yeah. a week between our episodes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. maybe we're trying to keep a more consistent timeline in Angel. We'll keep track of that as maybe. we move forward. The only thing that surprised me about Doyle's apartment, the number of books. Well, how do you think the guy knows the gem of Amara? He has hidden depths. Oh, he's a reader? Sure, he's Doyle's a reader. Doyle's a reader? Sure, he's a reader. <laughs> when his vision isn't blurred by all the drinks. Sure, I'm not he's sure a that's true. I would have expected more a, a, a Maybe pile of dirty magazines. Maybe has a special then. demon ability to just absorb all the information in the books. Perhaps so. Maybe there is a special magical <laughs> demonic ability. I see far too little evidence of that. <laughs> he maybe, knows the gem maybe. of Amara off the top of his head, which even Giles didn't know. So yeah, I'm going to go ahead and headcanon that. That is supernatural. I'll allow it. Angel talks with Rachel about her unhealthy addiction to Lenny. She keeps trying to fix him and it keeps going bad and she's at a crossroads. What lies before her is the easy path or the hard. Back at Doyle's place, Cordelia's filling him in on Spike's misadventures, yes. including the raising of the judge and the events of Surprise and Innocence, <laughs> a story about which Doyle is presumably aware. Because he repeated that whole story for Angel in the opening of the first episode. We don't know that he was filled in on the judge, though. He's the exposition demon. He knows everything. That's a very this good This is the thing. He's the exposition demon. <laughs> Angel calls to get Spike's location, straps on his stake shooters, and wreaks a bloody path of... Well, let's charitably call it investigation (laughs) until he finally manages to track Spike down in an alley where Spike is drinking from a young woman. Angel chases Spike into a dead end, but it's a trap. And Angel is quickly chained by Spike's vampire henchman, Marcus. Poor man's Anthony Edwards. Poor man's (laughs) Anthony Edwards. Yes. Kevin West is the actor who plays Marcus and does a great job. No, I love it. He has, you know, he has those little glasses. Mm -hmm. He has this wonderful kind of beta energy, you know, and yet is so terrifying Mm -hmm. in the way that he is written and the way that he is performed. Really, really great. Yeah. The, most of the writing is really good. There's mm-hmm. a couple of a couple of lines that are perhaps a little a mm-hmm. little leaden, mm-hmm. uh, where where less would be more. But yeah. 
Doug Petrie, for all of his skill as a writer, he is not generally predisposed to understatement. Yes. <laughs> he generally will will tend to go big. And sure. that's not even necessarily a failing. I think yeah. that that's part of what gives his episodes so much energy, yeah. so much so much mm-hmm. internal dynamism. It comes from that desire to just do more and pack more yeah. in and say more. Mm-hmm. I think that perhaps this character, this archetype, this, you know, yeah. Hannibal Lecter kind, sure. of, kind of character mm-hmm. generally benefits from a slightly cooler tone and sure. a slightly less packed script. Mm-hmm. But I think the performance is great. It's unfortunate that every time you look at him, you think poor, poor man's, man's Anthony, Anthony Edwards. Edwards. Yes. <laughs> Doyle and Cordelia are worried about Angel's absence and we cut back to find him shackled in a warehouse. Marcus is an expert torturer with a taste for Mozart and uncomfortably for children. Marcus opens Angel's shirt and is able to tell a lot about him, presumably from his nipples. <laughs> I, I just, I think you can tell a lot about a vampire. Yes. From It's like counting the rings on a tree oh, to see how old that? it is. Oh, is that? Okay, interesting. Somehow he manages to tell a lot about Angel, that he's been in love, <laughs> that he has a soul. Sure, Which sure. took the judge last yeah. time to determine that well, Angel I didn't mean, have a soul. Well, I mean, some people use tea leaves, some people use nipples. It's all part of the wonderful <laughs> mystery of the paranormal. Yeah. It's a rich bounty of episode titles. Sure, there you go. Week, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Angel wearies of the preamble and Marcus swiftly impales him, which is striking. Yes. That is a really striking No, move. it's interesting because you, you come from, you know, the companion episode in Buffy, the harsh light of day, and now we are into the dark, you know, um, which I think is really interesting. And this does go much, much darker, I think, than your typical Buffy episode would. Yeah. And it strikes a real, you know, alteration in tone yeah, between the two episodes. Mm-hmm. with a great deal of purpose and a really strong sense of what mm-hmm. Angel is, a stronger sense of what Angel is as a show than we've seen Sure. Thus far. Mm -hmm. You know, I think this is far and away the most coherent and complete Mm -hmm. vision of this show, this world, this version of of Buffy. Yeah. That we've seen thus far. And and for that, at least this episode is to be commanded. We cut ahead and sometime later the torture is taking its toll, but Angel has more patience and fortitude than Spike. True of most people, Uh I suppose. (laughs) Angel warns Spike about Marcus's potential interest in the gem of Amara, and Spike fills him in on all the news with Buffy and Parker. (laughs) Marcus returns to the task at hand, and Spike leaves them to it, slipping into Angel's basement through the sewers and ransacking the place. Marcus shoots holes in the ceiling of the warehouse, allowing pinprick shafts of sunlight to threaten his captive. (laughs) This, for me, the first moment where we start to tip over a little into into camp almost it's a little overblown it's a little it's a little constructed it's a little super villainy yeah and it uh doesn't quite feel like even even a natural progression from the scenes that we saw earlier right Mm -hmm. there's something there's a physicality to Mm -hmm. having angel shackled and plunging these red hot pokers through his body through his body Uh, yeah that feels very physical Mm -hmm. very very down to earth kind of faily firing his gun at the ceiling for these yeah. pinpricks of sunlight doesn't really accomplish the same thing. Well, yeah, plus, you know, he's in danger of walking through those little pinpricks he's of sunlight, too. He's very confident about the angle of the sun right He now. is, and I mean, he seems like the kind of guy who takes danger with a grain of salt anyway. <laughs> uh, doesn't seem like the most careful of, of people, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, Marcus, I think, at a certain point, like, okay, I think like you were saying before, a little bit goes a long way. Um, a little bit. Yes. He's real creepy in the beginning. I think a little less from Marcus, but with that malevolence is there really good. There are three parts of this episode that 
kind of crossed that line for me. Mm-hmm. This is the first of those. Yeah. The second is Spike monologuing in the warehouse, which we'll get to shortly. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the third is, unfortunately, basically the entire climax. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everything from Marcus's arrival on the pier yeah. to, you know, Angel walking out from the pier with the ring is not great. Yeah. It yeah, feels we'll... like very shaky construction, but we'll right. get to that in due course. Spike, meanwhile, runs into Cordelia and Doyle, who are armed, but nonetheless intimidated. Spike is tired of the search and tells the investigators that they have until sundown to bring him the ring. And he'll let Angel go. And much to their credit, they don't really believe him. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I enjoy that. Marcus continues the torture, forcing Angel to confess that he seeks forgiveness for his crimes and for his evil. He's about to stake Marcus when Spike intervenes, saving the torturer and helping out with the torture. Well, you know, I like that he throws in, you know, a little bit, puts some elbow grease into the work. I like very much that Angel is, you know, fumbling with the stake with his feet, yeah, trying to raise mm-hmm, it up. That's a very mm-hmm. Angel kind of thing to do. And if this were an episode of Buffy, yes. I'm confident that he would have succeeded. That would have been that the end point, of Marcus, sure. Mm-hmm. Having Spike intervene. Yeah. Just so coldly, yeah. so so precisely, mm-hmm. we're elevating the stakes, we're raising the conflict, we're making things worse. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice yeah. beat. Mm-hmm. Though it is the third time this episode, and I know that I joke all the time mm-hmm. about nobody in this universe having any kind of peripheral vision. Right. Where did Spike come from? From This is nowhere. the third He's time. He's a vampire. He's... With quiet. Angel intervening with Dexterous. Lenny and his gun in the Plus cold open. five to agility. <laughs> with Spike attacking Angel <laughs> in the garage. Right. And now here again. He's always just off camera. Right. If we can't see them, then they can't see them. Exactly That's right. how it works. Yeah. Everybody's seeing it through our eyes. It's like a, a baby playing hide and seek. When the blanket is up, they're not there. <laughs> no object permanence for vampires. That's what right. we've learned today. Cordelia and Doyle have searched everywhere but the sewers, which shouldn't be too hard, right? Particularly when Doyle can, as we mentioned, pop out that demon face and sniff (laughs) out the ring. They go to Spike and they arrange an exchange. They see Angel, they'll tell him where the ring can be found. Spike takes them inside the warehouse. They throw the ring across the floor and Oz bursts through the wall. I'm sorry, let me take that again. Oz's van bursts (laughs) through the wall with its completely unnecessary human flashback driver. They retrieve Angel and tear out of there, leaving Spike alone with no Marcus and no ring. Mm-hmm. Marcus, meanwhile, walks out in the sun, the ring gleaming on his vampiric finger. Spike monologues in the warehouse, inadvertently setting fire to his own hair in the process. <laughs> Again, perhaps yeah. a half step too far, though. Mm-hmm. I guess we've all had days like that. Uh, yeah, and you know, and I like that they do that with Spike. He is at the same time incredibly capable and then also like just screws no, up all the time. That's the thing. I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. He's a vampire. Sunlight yeah. is one of the very few things that can kill him. Right. Sunlight also, coincidentally, one of the most conspicuous things that he's can possibly have an exist in the world. extended awareness of sunlight. You would yeah. think so. Well, I don't think he's expecting it to come through through the ceiling well you would still be aware of it though maybe i don't know more importantly from a narrative his warehouse has just been busted in by the van sure and he's wandering around monologuing which i completely get which is a distracting process to get that that performance right yes in universe (laughs) maybe maybe i can whistle past it but from a narrative point of view yeah it's just a beat too much and it's all the worse because we're going to go from this Mm -hmm. to a climax that is so 
rushed and yes half-assed yeah that it barely hangs together at all yeah but by all means let's take 30 seconds so that james monsters can if well, forgive the pun vamp in an empty warehouse right. well once we're done i will say what i think should have been done with the end of this episode which would give <laughs> us more room for james monsters but which is what you need but no cutting james monsters would pain me but if we have to cut something i would probably cut spike's hair catching fire I get what we're doing. We're walking this line with Spike. We're, mm-hmm. we're keeping him threatening yeah. and brooding and intimidating, but we're also making him naturally funny. Right. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the monologue accomplishes everything that we need. We don't necessarily need the poor bleach blonde hairdo catching fire. I like it. <laughs> Marcus walks on the pier as Oz drives across town at Angel's urging. He pulls an absolutely illegal and absolutely unnecessary U-turn and heads for the pier because that's where Marcus is. Which we know because children, because question mark? children hang out at the pier during a school sure. day? Is that, is it, maybe it's a weekend. As everyone knows. Yes. The first place that you think of when you think about children. Is you don't think about a park. Playground. Or a school. Sure. Or anything like no. that. You yeah. think about the pier. It's where everybody takes their kids. I choose to believe that Angel just has an encyclopedic knowledge of where all the Cub Scouts in LA are at um, any given moment. I would like to not believe that at all because <laughs> that's disturbing. They barrel down the pier and slam into Marcus. Cordelia leads the children to safety and Angel bursts from the van, igniting in the sun and carrying Marcus off the pier and into the ocean. Mm-hmm. Striking moment. Moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Okay. Here's the thing. It's super ambitious. Yes. It's a very difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. They kind of fumble the execution a little bit. And yeah. The execution throughout this climax is a little shaky. The whole climax is shaky, but the stunt guy already, you know, lubed up with petroleum jelly or whatever they're using to do the fire effect. Mm-hmm. The crash through the the railing into the ocean. Mm-hmm. The whole fight scene under the pier. Yeah, is shaky from uh, from an execution point of view as well as from a kind of mythology point of view. Right. Yeah. This amount of indirect sunlight is fine. Sure. We're apparently doubling down on the idea that it's only super direct sunlight. Well, there are fewer, you know, holes and slats in the wooden pier, I guess, than there are in the. Uh, you have to whistle in the a little roof bit, of you? the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. do. It's mm-hmm. a little. It's a little uh, tricky. Not to mention the fact that if Marcus just wants to get away from Angel, all he has to do is walk into the sunlight. He has the gem on his hand. Yeah, but <laughs> you know? we're just going to have the fight, and yeah. then obviously the the final staking mm-hmm. of Marcus yes. and the pulling of the ring from the finger, mm-hmm. not perhaps great sure sure but Mm -hmm. i I like the concept nominally Mm -hmm. the execution not even really terrible yeah just shaky but it's the kind of shakiness that you think well what were you guys thinking you were never going to be able to do this in the time that you have with Uh the money that you have you were never going to be able to do this and make it look good well and the thing is that this whole thing this whole ending with marcus should not have happened i think i'm with you what should have happened is they crash in through the wall with the van right they throw a ring, not the gem. Why throw the gem? You're distracting somebody. He can't see what ring it is. He just knows you, you throw a ring, you get Angel, you run out. Marcus grabs the ring and says, ha ha ha, screw you, Spike, puts on the ring, saunters outside, bursts immediately into flames because it's not the actual gem of Amara. Yes. Then you have Spike doing his evil monologuing and all that kind of stuff. And you end because this is about, Spike is the antagonist. We're defeating Spike. This is not about Marcus. As long yeah. as we get rid of Marcus, that's fine. The misdirection then, of Marcus yes. is a bridge too far and mm-hmm. it feels a little bit 
like Doug Petrie really wanting to do something clever with this character. Yeah, and, and but it's not give about us Marcus. Extra unexpected climax. You just, you it's just, not. you know. First of all, Marcus double crosses Spike, and then because he double crosses Spike, he ends up bursting into flames. Then we're back with Angel and the Ring of Amara, which is where we end up in the end anyway, with Angel having the ring, and we have that whole ending scene. But it gives you more time to spend really dealing with Spike because he is the antagonist in this episode. Yeah. So I think that I love this episode, but that's where it went wrong because also you know you have a ring that's incredibly powerful and two of the most evil vampires in the world in that room you do not throw the actual ring you get a fake ring and throw that you know yeah um and that's just it's it's ridiculous and why do we have the beat even before that Mm -hmm. when doyle and cordelia say show us angel and then we'll tell you where the ring is rather than yes we have it right here why are we taking the extra time right, to, yeah. mm-hmm. to bake that in and I you know I understand that the argument is if they admit that they have the ring right there they're buying for time yeah Spike exactly kill them, but they're also standing in sunlight yes you know there are ways of using sunlight to good as a protective thing episode. exactly this I mean one you know quick edit of this script and it could have been like near perfect yeah really. it feels yeah. like we went a long way mm-hmm. to justify and to try to make work to force into yeah. the story mm-hmm. an idea that was a bad idea to begin with. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. the, the, the Marcus on the pier. Yeah, a little Marcus. less of Marcus. Marcus goes, a little Marcus goes a long way. <laughs> I think that uh, that we could have definitely taken this down a notch and, and simplified that ending because yeah. it really isn't about Marcus. Marcus is not the antagonist. And it's all the worse because we just saw this in the harsh light of day. Sure. Just grabbing a hand and pulling off the ring should not be an effective counter to this, you know, great gem of mythical power. Yes, exactly. The first thing I do if I get the gem of Amara from yeah. here on out, I swallow the gem. <laughs> right. Try and take it from me now, why don't you? And I appreciate. Probably means a day or two from now, things are going to get unpleasant. Well, okay, no. But in that time. Not necessarily, though. I mean, do, do vampires have all of the bodily functions or... You know, I'll leave that for your spinoff podcast. Sure, every sure. vampire poops. The f- <laughs> really, just too many episode titles to do anything with this week. Angel puts on the ring and walks out on the beach, and suddenly, as if, uh, uh, well, as if the clouds parted yes. and, and the sun shone. <laughs> This episode just gets right back on course. Sure. The minute he walks out from and under the pier. And he sees the sun and he's hiding his yeah. face with the hand. Yeah, no, it's really it's really a lovely moment. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to whistle past nobody on the beach looking twice at him. Yeah, hey, sure. Aren't you the guy that just caught fire and plunged into exactly. the ocean? Because we were like 40 yards away when that happened. <laughs> also, we were also, didn't you just take a vampire? concerned about you. <laughs> yeah. Hoping you're all right. shirts and rags. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a really nice moment. And it works because the emotional content is just so yeah powerful. just seeing the sun again yeah. i mean it's amazing and it was at this moment of course that i realized that david boreanaz was not allowed to get a tan for eight years yeah oz commenting on <laughs> he's really pale he's really pale <laughs> coming it's, from the redhead sure it's great later on the roof of his office angel and doyle watch the sunset angels decided that he isn't going to keep the ring it isn't his redemption it just looks like it the ring is the easy path that he's not going to take the sun sets and he smashes the ring releasing its power oh and it turns out that rachel called and she too has found faith turns out it was a nice day after all (laughs) 
really great final scene. Yeah. I, you know, I like the final scene. I love that he's watching the sunset and that they're waiting for it to, and Doyle's like, you know, you got to keep the ring. And I think the angel's reasons for not keeping the ring are are a little messed up. They're a little oh, idealized. I knew we were going to disagree about this. No, I knew we were going to disagree about this because this is an absolute and direct it's a echo of a statement of, yes, exactly. This is who Angel is. Exactly. But I it's this whole thing it. about, you know, it's too, it's too powerful. It makes Angel too powerful. Those are narrative reasons why we can't have him having the Gem of Mara. At the same time, you know, there are real pragmatic reasons for destroying the ring. That it's not only does it make him too powerful. If he goes evil again, then that makes the right. ring That's super, the biggest yeah. pragmatic reason. For, and also for, that even if you don't care about so, the philosophy of It's buffing. so easy. It's already been stolen from two really evil <laughs> vampires. He, I don't know, put on a glove over it. Put or on a glove, sure. Wear something. A little foil. super glue. How hard <laughs> was that? To it. You know, and some rings, like, you know, gain a little weight, Angel, because that ring will not come off. I <laughs> like the pragmatic approach mm-hmm. that Angel can't keep the ring. Yeah. Because he could turn into Angelus at any moment. Right. And then the world is sunk. Or that is it. We are an done. evil vampire could take it from sure. him at any moment. And sure. then, yeah. On the other hand, mm-hmm. I like that the show doesn't even nod in that direction. Yeah. I like that we don't even care about the compelling pragmatic argument yeah. for destroying the ring. I absolutely buy that this is consistent with Angel's philosophy. With no, but his whole what he thing is, oh, if I am allowed to go out during the day, I will forget about the people at night. Yeah. And you no, know, no, you're, that's not a reason for you to give up the ring. That is, that is uh, it comes silly, back to, yeah. No, it comes back to what Marcus was asking him all the way through the episode. Mm-hmm. What does he want? Yeah. Now, I do think that there's, there's a philosophical conversation to be had, mm-hmm. because what Angel says when pushed is forgiveness yeah and he doesn't want forgiveness no what he wants is redemption sure and those are similar but very different things yeah yeah i think that angel's pursuit of that redemption just simply the idea that this is the easy path Mm -hmm. that there are two ways to get what he wants to get peace in his soul Mm -hmm. there's this way or there's the right way Mm -hmm. and i think that he explores that really quite beautifully with rachel earlier in the episode sure you can do the thing that you want to do Uh uh-huh but it's going to cause harm and destruction later. Yeah, see, none of that stuff really worked for me. I didn't like the whole, you've got to find your faith with Rachel in that whole, like, sermon. No, 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 not a sermon. (laughs) You can argue, I think, about the way that that line is written. Yeah. I'm not happy about the, oh, you're from that church on whatever. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Faith in yourself. Faith in yourself as distinct from a general faith. No, very true. But it's still like I I there are pragmatic reasons why Angel should destroy this ring. And I appreciate that he also has some philosophical reasons why he wants to do it, but the main reasons should be the pragmatic reasons. And if you use those pragmatic no. reasons, we can infer the philosophical reasons behind them. But to have him be like, no, because people during the day, they have people to protect them. Not from demons and stuff like that, but you know, other stuff. Some demons go around during the day causing all sorts of havoc that I can't do anything about. I'm here for the people who are in danger at night you know um and i just 
I just find it to be. I don't know how be... you could take against that and still like, you know, Angel as a character, Angel as a TV no, show. I like Angel as a character. I like Angel as a TV show. I just like my smarmy philosophy to be subtext. I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was nicely written. I thought it was yeah. beautifully performed. Mm-hmm. I thought oh, he no, managed he to bring a great, great job deal of humanity it. Yeah. and subtlety to it. Yeah, and it's the important thing. What is Angel about? And believe me when I tell you, we're right. going to return to this question two years from now. Oh, when sure. When we wrap up Angel. Oh, sure. What is Angel about? Mm-hmm. It's about why we fight. Yeah. That's what brings us back to Amans. That's why Amans is so pivotal mm-hmm. in our understanding of who Angel is as a character and what this show is doing. Because I don't know. this entire show, all five seasons of Angel, yeah. spring out of that discussion in Amans. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's just that, honestly, like, my, I I think it's just my problem with sincerity. When people get too (laughs) sincere, it bugs me. I'd rather see this stuff, like, just nicely, lightly put into the subtext and then just let him use the pragmatic reasons of which there are many. This is why we're so good together, though, because you get all moody over... You get all moony over Buffy suffering because Parker hasn't called her back. Oh, come on. No, that and is I reasonable. This, this is so powerful. This is so <laughs> genuinely Oh, moving. shut up and stop sharing your actual emotions. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it up, Angel. You're a vampire. Stop being so freaking moody. I think it's great. I think it's great. I think it's right. I think it is adequately supported by the surrounding text. You could theoretically stand to lose Rachel mm-hmm. and Lenny but given the amount of time that we spend on Rachel and Lenny I really like the way that it it echoes and reflects the well and we do a three beat of that struggle. story yeah. that doesn't really take a whole lot away from the it original really it's not like it, we're spending a whole lot of time if we spent one more second with Rachel and Lenny I would have been the beat that I didn't like it. I mean mm-hmm. if I'm really going to critique that final scene yeah. the beat that I didn't like is Doyle just oh and also this chick Rachel called and blah 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 yeah. Cordelia should come up to the roof because it's not about Angel and Doyle it's about the three of them together yes, if Cordelia absolutely. came up Oh, I was looking for you. Rachel mm-hmm. just called and she says yeah. that she found her faith, whatever that means. But she didn't pay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or, That's yeah, what exactly. Cordelia or should do. Yet. And she paid. Or no, but she didn't pay. And I think you really should go knock some, you know, shake her upside down <laughs> until some money falls out. Uh, I would love for that to have been the ending from Cordelia because, yes, absolutely. It is about the three of them. It is about what they do together. But uh, but at the same time, yeah, it's just it was way too much sincerity for me. Angel's just got to shut up and hold some of that stuff in. OK, do you dislike the execution <laughs> Or do you disagree with the thesis of the show? I love the thesis of the show. Okay. I don't like the execution. So it's the way that it's handled. It's I the don't sunset, like this. It's the, the bad composite shot of Angel. And it's, against it's the, the <laughs> you know, the people during the day have people to fight for them. If I wear this ring, I'll forget to get up at night. It's like, no, that's not no, the reason why you do because it. Because he won't have to. I think there's something to that. And even then, I don't think that's really what he means. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's... No, that is the, he's he's talking about something deeper and more meaningful. Yes. I would rather he leave that in the subtext. I would rather we just, you know, we have a lot of very good pragmatic reasons for destroying the Gem of Amara. Um, and, uh, and Angel's, the reason that he gives is the least compelling of all of them. No, it's the most compelling. But it is certainly the most abstract and the it's least It's the most practical. annoying. Well, okay. <laughs> the person I really have sympathy for, though, is Joss Whedon, or I guess whoever's sitting next in our big writer's chair yeah. for Angel. Because the temptation to give Angel 
a loophole. Yeah. The temptation to give him something that, okay, let's say, well, it turns out the gem of Amara used up its power and uh-huh. or it was it was affected somehow by the salt water and now the only thing it'll do is protect you from sunlight. Yeah. You're not invulnerable, but you can't walk outside. The production company uh-huh. must have been clinging to that idea Just because it anything makes everything because, so much easier. Right. We don't but, have to worry about making sure there isn't a stray beam of sunlight coming through right. the set. We, we don't have, have to, to constantly worry. shoot at three o'clock in the morning. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, I think that narratively, <laughs> though, you you the gem of Amara is absolutely something you cannot have because in narrative, you have to make things difficult for your protagonist. And if you take away one of the, the most difficult things, the fact that this is a character who yeah. cannot but, exist outdoors during the day. Okay, but here's the thing. We whistle past that whenever we feel like it anyway. How did Angel get to Rachel's apartment in the middle of the episode? It is clearly the middle of the day. Sewers. Sewers that lead directly into the... And the parking garage, yeah. And it's an apartment, too. So it's not as though this is, you know, a standalone house. I don't know. No, I mean, yes, you have to whistle past a lot of that. And yes, but philosophically we need to have angel not have that kind of power he can't be so much more powerful than everything that he's fighting it has no, to be, he doesn't have kill. To be so much and you more don't want to give him the the gem of amara no, you don't want to making you him can't. invulnerable would obviously be overkill. too much right but just allowing him to go out in sunlight i, I think they made the right choice they absolutely I'm not, made I'm not the right choice you know, yeah mm-hmm. uh, or i'm not opposing the destruction of the ring i absolutely think they made the right choice and i absolutely think i can they see the right where the people the right behind reasons. the scenes would have but been, there must yes. have been a long discussion right no no you don't think there was no, a long discussion with, in the righteous no, room with the producers not with, with joss whedon in charge <laughs> not with joss joss would not allow it are <laughs> you David kidding Boreana me saying i could get a tan for the joss first say, time in four hey years. let's make things easier on our protagonist joss whedon really no well, okay. no it wouldn't even be <laughs> one person might have said hey do you think maybe well, and joss would have been like no because narratively you nice cannot do Angel that and then kill three puppies that's generally how these things work no metaphorical no, puppies no you've got to torture your protagonist if anybody understands torturing your protagonist it is joss whedon no i understand it too and as i said you know I and he would not choice, give up an opportunity to make things harder yeah where are we putting this episode on our not so big list of every <laughs> angel episode ever and if you don't say first i don't know what to do in what universe do you think the spike episode <laughs> is not going to be number one for me even if we had a hundred episodes of angel <laughs> the spike episode goes number one now i think that out of all the episodes that we've had absolutely it is number one with a bullet by quite a high yeah. margin what's striking yeah. is that there were three or four different reasons i think yeah. why you could legitimately put it right at the top of the sure. angel. that's why you could say it's the most confident and accomplished mm-hmm. episode of angel thus far one of those certainly is spike yes. one of those for me is just the clean narrative yeah up until the climax mm-hmm. we just build this story beautifully right. and mm-hmm. we're not distracted with multiple layers of plotting there's no yeah. a plot b plot c plot here we're staying focused on one thing but we're doing it really quite yeah. beautifully mm-hmm. the final turn really works for me okay. and even marcus up to the climax Mm-hmm. is a great and engaging second tier no, villain. I like Marcus a lot at that point. I really think that they should have ended it with Spike. This is not about Marcus. This is about Spike and it's about Angel. Um, and uh, and I think that, you know, we needed to do that. That would that ending sure. with Marcus always drives me nuts. And I don't like the Angel sincerity, you know, rant at the end. But <laughs> I understand that maybe because of my own like personal damage, I just prefer for my sincere feelings to be in the subtext that's all but number one with a bullet number one with a bullet i have to say it's the first really solid episode of angel where i feel like 
they know what they are they've got their feet on the ground it's good well it's also and i don't think this is a coincidence the first episode of angel where we're not world building yeah where we're not having to establish our premise and offer excessive amounts of exposition doyle gets less to do in that regard in this episode than he has in either of the last Mm -hmm. two Mm -hmm. so i think that there's a lot to be said for the show actually finding its feet and it just happens to find its feet in this week where we have, you know, a pair of very likable guest yes, stars who bring uh-huh. a great deal of of energy, of welcome energy yes, to mm-hmm. the status quo that we've established here in L.A. Yeah, it works for me. How does it work for you as a crossover with Buffy? I like it. Really? I do. Because for me, it works least well as a companion piece to The Harsh Light of Death. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. tonally, it's... It's a, it's a different just show. so different. But, it, but that's the thing. These shows are tonally different. And when you're in this, I think it's brilliant because when you're in this situation where you have, you know, the original and the spinoff and one is showing right after the other, you know, they've got them together. You've got fans who are very attached to Buffy and the way that Buffy tells stories. When you use a crossover and you tell from two different perspectives, because we go from Buffy's, you know, kind of perspective, which is a little lighter, a little more fun, a little funnier, into Angel's space which is a little bit darker and a little bit more grim a little bit more grungy you take the same elements and you put them in a different tonal space you really kind of see that contrast and you can see that angel is a different show this is where angel steps up stands on its own and becomes its own thing rather than just an, an appendage of buffy That's true, but I think that close contrast, particularly when you're taking contiguous characters Mm -hmm. like Spike and Oz, I think that close contrast is just too stark. Mm -hmm. I feel like Angel is such a different show that taking the same antagonist and the same MacGuffin and the same setup and honestly, almost the same resolution, the pulling of the ring off the finger at the end Mm -hmm. of the episode, taking those elements and transposing them directly into the other show leads us to a place where we're actually stressing, you know, we're stressing in the sense of, you know, threatening to break yes. apart mm-hmm. some of those components, most notably, I think, Spike. I, Monologue yeah. and catching his hair on fire works back in Sunnydale. Right. No, but you're true. in the big city now. That is, that is definitely Buffy Spike. And I um, think that if not for James Monster's skill with his delivery and yeah. his absolute fundamental grasp on that character, uh-huh. it wouldn't have worked at all. Yeah. As it is, it broadly works. I no, I actually really like I like the contrast. I no, like I, using those same elements and the having contrast that. contrast is good and yeah. I like the fact that the shows are very different. I'm not sure. I guess what I'm saying is I'm not sure that I would cross over these shows because they're so different mm-hmm. in quite this way. I yeah. wouldn't necessarily draw the lines between the two versions of the Buffyverse quite so tightly. I like it. Yeah. I think it I think it absolutely serves a very good purpose of stating this is Angel, well, this is not good you know, news just for Buffy you, number two. <laughs> I really loved do it. it again yeah. in the very near future. <laughs> that I think is everything that we have to say about in the dark. We will be back on Monday to talk about Fear Itself, the fourth episode of season four of Buffy the Vampire Slayer written by David Fury directed by Tucker Gates it's going to be an interesting one definitely lot to say about fear itself guys if you like what we do here at Story Wonk and you want to support us in our efforts to bring illumination and understanding to the worlds of Buffy the Vampire Slayer (laughs) and Angel both then you can make that happen by heading on over to patreon.com slash storywonk p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash storywonk where you can pledge a dollar a month or whatever you can afford. We are grateful, always so grateful 
to all of our wonderful patrons and pledging your support over on our Patreon page gets you access to all of our exclusive Patreon-only content, including our monthly hangout show, yeah. The Story Wonk Secret Show. <laughs> you want to come and listen to us ramble on for an hour or an hour and a half answer listener questions, questions yeah. all kinds of fun stuff mm-hmm. there are commentary tracks there are free classes there's a ton of stuff over on our patreon page so if you don't support us there head on over you'll mm-hmm. find a lot of stuff that you will like that is it we'll be back on monday with more until then i'm alistair stevens and i'm lonnie diane rich and this is dusty